Welcome to the Experience Started Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitty, and you are listening to a new episode. On this episode of the podcast, I'm excited to share my recent conversation with Chloe Ramnery and Hoisan Guan. Chloe and Hoisan are two second-year students in our full-time MBA class of 2024, and they're also leaders of the first-generation low-income initiative here at the Darden School of Business. I recently connected with Chloe and Hoisan to talk more about their backgrounds, how they decided to pursue an MBA, what led them to Darden, as well as what the first-generation low-income initiative has planned for the months ahead. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here's my interview with Chloe Ramnarine and Hoisan Guan. Chloe, Hoisan. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Brett. Happy to be here. Same. Thanks for having us. All right. Well, Chloe, how's everything going? How's life? Life is going great. Uh, It's great to be back in Charlottesville. Definitely a bit chaotic. Uh, People typically say that second year, things calm down compared to the first year. Don't quite think that's true. It's been an absolute whirlwind between classes, recruiting, trying to have a social life and get enough sleep. Um, but it's all in good fun, just trying to fully take advantage of second year while we still have it. Yeah, my impression just from talking to people on the podcast is not necessarily that things slow down. It's just you have maybe a little bit more control over your schedule, right? You get to pick your classes, uh, but other things fill up your days, uh, clubs, organizations, recruiting, as mentioned, all the things you want to do before you graduate. Uh, It's a very full year. Agreed. Yeah, everything else just kind of gets more busy to compensate for sure. Hoisan, how are you doing? I am doing great. <laughs> uh, busy is really interesting because I, like Chloe, wasn't really expecting that. I also wasn't expecting to have a shift in career the second year. It was a second week into school, into entrepreneurship through acquisition, reading through tech notes. And I realized that's what I wanted to do after graduation. So that set a lot of things in motion really quickly because we were graduating in just a couple months. So exciting times, a lot of new things coming my way, uh, but busy as well. All right. Well, thank you all so much for taking some time out uh, for the podcast. Hoisan, I'd like to come to you with this uh, first question. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about you. Uh, Who are you? Uh, What's your background? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Hoisan Guan. I moved to Florida from China when I was 12. You're about to notice there's two Floridians, at least on this podcast, which I'm not quite sure if it's usual for Charlottesville, but there's two of us. Yeah, so I immigrated here with my parents and in middle school and high school uh, was on free and reduced lunch and was trying to hide that part of my identity for quite a bit. I knew I wanted a job that pays going into undergrad, so I chose journalism. (laughs) That very quickly changed in a semester. Um, I grew up playing piano since I was four, and I was not ready to say goodbye to piano. So it took a little bit of convincing to tell my parents that I will still have a job even if I majored in piano performance from my undergrad and keep business as my minor. So I did. Uh, I did graduate with a piano performance major and business minor, um, but I did not have a job when I graduated from undergrad. So that was really nerve wracking when all my friends were just like 
hanging out, having the time of their life, waiting for their full time to start while I was just submitting applications, calling and following up on recruiters, which reminded the garden time is reminding me of that a little bit. Um, me choosing to go the path of less trouble a little bit. Um, so couple weeks, actually quite a weeks and months on um, following up emails and calls, I finally got a job at Amazon in a warehouse. So I told myself I was going to work for Amazon for two years because I knew it was going to be very intensive regarding energy and how much time it would take. And seven years later, I was still there. <laughs> year. So I ran the operations in warehouse right under undergrad in Phoenix for two years in Amazon Logistics, and then slowly moved back from the day-to-day -day execution to back-end planning. Moved to Seattle two years in to do the operations integrations and process improvement. In other words, I was trying to find a way how the new technology would fit into the existing process because that was my background. Um, four years into Amazon Logistics, I realized that I've worked my entire professional career in logistics within the four walls and I wanted something new. So you thought that would be a time for me to leave Amazon. Nope. <laughs> I just love Amazon Logistics. Uh, went to Amazon Kitchen to do new product development for a little bit. That was really fun. Um, see how foods are made from the conceptual stage to how they got on the shelf. And uh, I think I worked for multiple companies if it weren't for a big giant company like Amazon because I ended as a senior risk manager in transportation risk and compliance um, in different programs. So that's me prior to Darden. And then at Darden, first year, I had this idea of starting a business when I was back in Phoenix. But at zero point did I think that I can just quit my job full time and just start a business in frozen treats. So I wanted to make alcoholic gelato, which would sound great when you were in Phoenix. Um, I didn't. And I figured Darden is best time to learn and to figure out how to do so. So I started a business last year called Boozy Frozen Treats. And I focused in making premium frozen cocktails. And that brought us to the summer. I was in the incubator launching my business. And then here we are in the second year. Wow, lots of twists and turns in, in that story. Um, thank you for, for sharing all of that, Hoysan. Um, so uh, can I ask you, how is the, how's your, your startup going? Um, is it still a going concern? Are you still exploring it? Uh, so two-part answer. Yes, I'm still exploring startup. Second part, I have very recently decided to pause on boozy frozen treats. The main reason for that is because alcohol is very highly regulated. And that's something I've learned along the way, especially in states that are control states where all the liquor have to go through the government. So I wanted to move to a different state upon graduation. And that would mean to work with a different state, a new state, if not plural states, of the alcohol board control in picking that to shelf and launching it as a product. And I spin back and forth on that for a really long time. It's not that there isn't a demand out there. Uh, I don't want to spend the next year and a half 
figuring out like regulatory wise how to bring the products to market. So putting a pause on that for now, but hopefully I'll come back to this in the future. But meanwhile, I still have all the recipes and how to make mango margarita. So <laughs> not all hopes are lost. Well, believe it or not, not the first time we talked about uh, ABC regulation and uh, Virginia in Virginia uh, here on the podcast. We've had a few student uh, founders who come on and they've had alcohol related um, uh, startups and uh, they've run into some of that red tape and, and bureaucracy. So um, I appreciate your sharing all of that. Chloe, tell us more about you and, and your background. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so also a fellow Floridian as well. Uh, so I grew up in Claremont, which at the time um, was like a very agrarian town. It's since gotten more developed um, for better or for worse, I'll say that. Um, but my parents, they immigrated from Guyana, which was a small country in South America. So my sister and I are first generation in this country. Um, and to be quite honest, my parents didn't come here for, with much. Um, neither of them actually graduated from high school. So very much coming from a blue collar working family, didn't have the experience to summer in an exotic place or go skiing or anything fancy like that. Um, most of my summers were spent working, um, initially picking fruit, later on moved to restaurants, some retail, summer camps, just as I got older. Um, we have this saying in Guyana, and I'll translate it from the native dialect, but it's the idea that they or whoever your theoretical they is, um, that they can take everything from you, but they can never take your education. And so the idea of going to college and making something of myself was something that was very much instilled in me when I was younger, um, very much hounded on me by my parents. Um, because those that just wasn't an opportunity that they had, but in their mind, that was the key to a better life. And they really did everything they could to provide that for my sister and I, and I will say that being born as a citizen and having that perspective, I've had incredible access to opportunities that, you know, people in my family or people back in South America just never would have had. And to be quite honest, I think it's opportunities that I think that people that have been here for a while can sometimes take for granted. And so I'm very much that person that whenever I see an open door, I try to go through it. Um, but I'm very appreciative, like for what my family has done for me and Fortunately, through that kind of rigor and strictness, I was able to um, obtain a nearly full ride to the University of North Florida. It's a smaller regional state school, but very much a proud Osprey, great place to be. Um, and so kind of going along in that same vein, I think that my parents, you know, they just wanted to know that I would be secure, that I would be safe, that I was going to be able to make something of myself. So definitely uh, influenced my course of study for sure. I ended up studying molecular and cell biology. And early on in my career, I was very much focused on research and development work. Um, I focused primarily in neuroscience. So I was at the Mayo Clinic for a few years in their neurodegeneration research department. Did a lot of work in Lewy bio disease and Parkinson's disease. Got to publish a few times, um, traveled to conferences, did that whole stint. And then uh, later on, I transitioned to industry. Um, where I did both research and development work, as well as worked as a lab manager. And so as I was thinking, you know, a little bit more longer term, I found that I was just hitting a wall and trying to expand and move out of the lab. And so that was a big reason for the transition to an MBA. A PhD didn't feel quite right. And as most immigrant parents, they want their kids to be doctors. And that just, I 
that wasn't going to be it for me. Um, and so the MBA, what I found was that it was going to give me that flexibility that I was looking for to maybe pivot into something else. And to be quite honest, pivot into a higher paying job as well. Um, I ended up, you know, committing to that path. And the biggest kind of convincer for me, I'll call it that. Um, so my partner, really into data and numbers, all of that. He's an engineer. He, when I was trying to figure out what next steps would be, whether that was an MS or a PhD or something, he made me this fancy spreadsheet. Like he put in the works, um, did a few different tiered schools. He used like the FAFSA calculator, figured out what the return on investment was, what your monthly payments realistically would be, what were the kind of salaries that you could get. Um, so growing up in a low income household, the idea of taking out debt to do an MBA it was really, really scary because it is a huge investment. And so that idea of that insecurity has always been in the back of my head, like growing up with food insecurity or not knowing how you're going to pay the rent. Um, it, those are things that you end up carrying with you, uh, to be quite honest. And it's something that gets factored into a lot of your decisions. Um, but that spreadsheet and seeing the numbers and seeing, you know, the sort of door that an MBA could open and the opportunities that I'd be able to have access to that really sold it for me. And so now I'm here at Darden, thankfully, um, tried out consulting this past summer, wasn't quite a good fit. So re-recruiting this year and hoping to return to pharmaceuticals and healthcare in some sort of general management capacity. Well, thank you for sharing that, Chloe. Hoisan, um, I wonder how, how did you get interested in pursuing an MBA? How did an MBA end up on your radar? Yeah. Hmm. So I co-founded an affinity group when it was Amazon. It's called Body Positive Peers in Fighting Fatphobia. So started that in 2017. So I took a look in the backstage card and what is going on within TBI initiatives within Amazon. Um, and then I started a grassroots group at Amazon Kitchen. So within a year, I was able to see the changes in morale, productivity, and how people are interacting with each other. But it was also at the year mark, I realized that I can either go really broad, like I did for body positive peers, but then the impact is really shallow, or I can go really, really deep within a small group. But then like that group is very narrow. Um, it was not going the pace that I wanted to see changes within the organization that I was a part of. And I realized that I can provide opinions. I can write up as many documentations I want to convince leadership for changes. But at the end of the day, I'm not the person to make the go or no go decision on culture changes. And I want to be that person. So that also took a lot of convincing with my parents. Um, because that was a type of job that was sought after by MBA grads. And it was really difficult to explain to my parents why I would quit a well-paying job to pursue school when that's what people want to do after school. But that's really what I want. I really want to make culture around me better. And that's also one of the main reasons why I want to pursue ETA is the buck stops with me. I am like the ultimate person in go no go. I'm like, this is how I want the culture to be. And this is how I want it to be set up. So that brought me to pursuing an MBA.
All right, Chloe, you mentioned uh, the spreadsheet. Uh, what about Dart in particular resonated with you? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so it was a few different things. I think Darden has this reputation amongst business schools in general as being a bit more academically rigorous compared to other programs. Um, we'll be completely honest, the co core curriculum definitely puts you through the ringer a little bit, uh, but it, it does a good job of preparing you. Um, and so someone that you know worked in academia for a while, I figure if I'm going to go do my MBA somewhere, it's going to be at the best academic institution. So that was a big pull for Darden for me, just right off the bat. Um, secondarily, so as I was going through my journey as well, what I was surprised to find too was that Darden was the only school that offered some form of need-based aid. Um, and again, just like coming from that first-gen low-income background, that's something that I was looking for. And I, I do think that there's a long way to go in terms of expanding that program and programs similar to it. But I think it just showed that additional level of intentionality and in trying to make business school more accessible to people in this community. I know that it, like, it can be easy to maybe dismiss that as cynical or just kind of like a cash grab or whatever. Um, but Darden was the only school that offered that compared to all of the other business schools could not find a school that offered that need-based aid. Um, and so definitely on the financial side of that, um, that was something that I found particularly appealing. And then also uh, Darden does historically have a smaller class size compared to some other schools as well. And learning in the case method, I it's been a very unique experience, but one that I think has made me like a better leader, a better worker in business, um, especially having come from working in the labs and doing very solitary work. I wasn't always the best at presenting myself and expressing my ideas. And so the case method does really force you to get comfortable with that and how to be competent. And there is this kind of trial and error dynamic that allows you to workshop your answers a bit or workshop your presentation skills. And the fact that Darden keeps its class sizes small, it allows you to build that level of trust with your classmates and kind of assume positive intention. Um, so it's it's a safe space for you to learn how to do all of that. And I think that's a very critical piece that you might not get in other places as well. Um, it's like doing traditional lecture and writing notes teaching. And so I think just between those things, that level of intimacy within Darden and just the unique way of teaching and also the money um, were kind of my main reasons for coming here. Boisan, how about, how about you? What, what led you to Darden? A little different. <laughs> um, I was very intentional in the type of school that I was looking for because I want to make the changes after MBA, um, that is cultural changes. I wanted to be in a place where I can learn those skills. And there weren't that many schools that had this level of inclusiveness and the focus of mental health as it is here at Darden. Uh, I told Christy Julian the second day of school during orientation that the first gen low income panel that she held as the webinar was the sole determining factor toward the end on whether or not I want to come to Darden. It was that level of awareness on how much work has been put in, but more bluntly so on how much work is needing to be done was really powerful idea that came across on how much Darden really cares about 
this REM and EI. And ultimately, that paid off. <laughs> right. Well, excellent. I, I, we're going to talk about the, the group you all are involved with, uh, the first generation uh, initiative uh, a little bit later in, in the podcast. But I want to just uh, ask you a couple more questions about, about your experience here at Darden. Uh, so, Hoysan, you, you come to Darden, you're a brand new first year student. Uh, what was that adjustment uh, like? I think I'm at this point used to be a little different and not the same as most of my peers. The biggest adjustment for me was the allocation of time. I was able to take a step back to look at the whole picture of my life until this point. So since graduation, um, it just felt like it was work, go, go, go. I want another promotion. I want a bigger project. I want a shinier, cooler, something that I'm chasing after. Um, but it was really that time in reflecting to see that and to understand for myself, am I doing what I'm doing because that's the expectation of what I should be doing? because all the sacrifices my parents have made for me, or am I doing what I'm doing because I want to? And that took a really long time to unfold with the help of my therapist. So the biggest adjustment was being able to take a step back and seeing how I want to design my life. How do I take control of how I want to do and take stock of how far I've come and where I want to go. And that has been really beneficial in taking a step back for me to see how can I learn not to burn myself out. And I think that was my biggest takeaway in the first year is how to take care of me and putting on my oxygen mask before I help everyone else. That is, uh, I will say, I mean, it's a challenge for a lot of MBA students, right? You've worked so hard to get to this point. It's always been the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And as you mentioned, you know, what motivates us is not just always intrinsic. It can be our feelings of obligation or expectations uh, that we may feel from other other people. Um, that's really Im important, important work. Um, so congratulations on engaging with that because that's no no easy feat. Thank you. Well, Chloe, how about how about you? What was the biggest adjustment uh, for you as as you navigated your first year? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think mine are probably a little bit more stereotypical. Um, the biggest for sure was coming back to school after working for a few years. Just that adjustment of, you know, having free reign over your schedule. And then now all of a sudden you have to be in classes at 8 a.m. and you're trying to schedule all these coffee chats, participate in everything. Um, going back to being a student was a lot tougher than I thought it was going to be. Um, just in general to learning how to present myself in the case method as someone that also just had absolutely you no know, business background, never took a finance class, never took a business class or anything like that. So I think the learning curve was extremely, extremely steep for sure. I think the other biggest thing too is just, it was the first time I can say quite honestly where I've been in an environment and I could very tangibly feel that I had a different lived experience. Um, the great thing about academia and just working in science in general is that it tends to be a very blended mix of people and you're very much like 
based on kind of like a meritocracy system. And so whatever it is you contribute, either to the literature, to your experiments, like that's what people know about you. That's what people care about. And for the first time, I was walking into an environment where where I went to for undergrad or where I worked from previously. Like these were things that all of a sudden mattered. And I very quickly realized that the way that I had grown up in my lived experience was very, very different from my fellow students. I mean, I loved them, great classmates, uh, but it was definitely hard to relate to people in different conversations or being able to, to discuss different things, whether, you know, social or academic. Um, I didn't have like a super flashy resume. I didn't have a flashy list of things that I had done in my life. Um, and there was definitely times in my first year where I felt like I was being looked down on or I was treated as differently. Um, that was a sentiment that I got from, you know, a few people or even when I'm trying to go out and recruit. And it kind of gets down on you a little bit. Um, definitely those thoughts of imposter syndrome or wondering why am I here? Was there a mistake made? Definitely started to creep in. Um, but I think the first year too, like it was very important that I went through that. Um, just because it was a big case study and grit and resilience and just really learning that, you know, I have something to contribute to the classroom. Um, my perspectives matter just because it's different doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with it. And ultimately, we're all in the same place doing the same things with the same access to the same opportunities. Um, and Darden has really been an equalizer in that sense. And so First year, I think, you know, for any business school student, it'll put you through the ringer. But going through that, I think, definitely makes you stronger coming out on the other end, for sure. Yeah, it's interesting to, to hear your points. I had this conversation with this with an executive MBA student on the Executive MBA podcast. And uh, many of our executive MBA students wrestle with the exact same thing. Like, how did, am, am I a mistake? How did I get in here? All these other people were qualified. And this student basically said, said to themselves, like, you know, I am here. So, you know, I, I, let me do something with this because I'm actually here now. So rather than worried about how I got here, am I right? This kind of stuff like I'm here. Uh, this is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay here and I, I'm going to do as much as I can with this. 100%. All right. Well, let's talk about the, the first generation uh, uh, initiative. Um, uh, I've been trying. I, I will say this podcast has been a few months in the making. I heard about this, I think, last year. Um, and so I'm so glad to have you here. Uh, to talk more about this. Chloe, um, tell us more about what this initiative is all about. Yeah, so the first generation low income student initiative is exactly kind of what it sounds like. Our whole purpose is to build a communicate, build a community and elevate the voices of the first generation and low income students here at Darden. Um, our predecessors, Rachel Sorrells and Vashti Barin, they had seen that gap. Um, here at Darden. There are plenty of affinity groups that are present. We're very thankful for that. Um, but there wasn't really anything that addressed this specific lived experience. And to be quite honest, um, like through our conversation, I'm sure you learned that it is a very different experience, like growing up differently compared to some of your classmates or growing up with food insecurity or money insecurity, not knowing, you know, like when the next check is going to come through or things like that. And so being in business school, um, we felt that it was really important to build out that community for those students. And we try to focus on the three uh, primary tenets of what we feel are present here at Darden. So academic, social, and professional. Um, and our goal is really to elevate the voices of those students, ensure that they have all the tools and resources that they need to feel like they can succeed and um, 
just being able to celebrate all that they've achieved up until this point and ensuring that they can see a path for success in their future, whether it's immediately after Darden or even further down the road, um, but just addressing that need in the community and ensuring that we're there to fill it. And you're right, uh, MBA programs can be very affluent environments. The, the level of wealth that people are talking about, the salaries, you know, the experiences that people have had, just the opportunities people have had, uh, it can be a very disorienting experience uh, for folks who are not coming from uh, similar backgrounds. Hoysan, what would you want people to know about, uh, about this initiative? Sure. I think the biggest part for this initiative for me is you can't be what you can't see. For a really long time, I always thought I was the only one, whatever minority group that might be. I thought I was the only one coming from a low-income background because it's invisible. It's not true. There's a community back here. But until I started sharing, it was a lot more liberating to know that there are others there. Um, there are other people who are behind you to support you, are really proud of those backgrounds. But until we start talking about it, for example, for FGLI, those conversations are not being brought up organically. So I think this is what we're here to share. Um, we are also very cognizant of the label of FGLI and very similar um, to Priyat Darden that not everyone may feel comfortable at this certain time to share the personal information and rather not part of their community. The goal is the more we talk about it, the more we can remove the stigma around the community and provide a different perspective. Like Chloe says, a very different lived experience and how our experiences can bring different color into discussions. Well, let's talk about some of the programming or just uh, support that you offer. Chloe introduced this kind of idea that there's this three, three pillar framework that aligns just with how I think people think about activities here at Darden. You have the uh, academic, you have career, you have, you have social. Um, uh, so Hoysan, uh, what would you highlight about programming initiatives that you're that you're working on? Yeah, we spent a really long time in many whiteboards drawing out <laughs> what is the best to serve this community because there's so much programming and extraordinarily well done programming by the other groups. So a couple of things that we have come up, we're really proud of. We're starting our first ever case method workshop this Thursday with Professor Bobby Palmer as a garden student, but also as a professor in how to navigate the discussion in the classroom in bringing different perspectives, but also how do you share or what not to share if you decided not to in a classroom that can enrich the conversation. So the case method workshop is coming up this Thursday. We're really excited about that. The first generation low income week is also coming up in November. So that's really exciting to highlight the community we are and who the really strong students are behind it. We're also planning a Ask Me Anything with the FGLI alums in November. Um, we want to kind of give this perspective of coming from an FGLI background, how are you navigating the career path that you are? Because I think there is a misconception that being an entrepreneur means you have to put all eggs in one basket. And it's really high risk, especially in the ETA world. And that's just 
not true. So we want to have, and we're planning on having alums from different walks of life coming in to taking a stock on what it was like as a Darden student and uh, progressing in their career. Chloe, anything uh, that you're looking forward to on the programming front? Yeah, definitely echoing everything that Hoysan mentioned um, in terms of our programming. But I think like in the same vein, the biggest thing that I'm excited for is building out this community. We are a relatively newer group on campus. And so this year has been, you know, that opportunity to really draw in those students and ensuring that, you know, they can look in a room and recognize someone that's from FGLI or getting to know who um, like the different FGLI professors are as well, because we do have quite a number of staff and faculty who are very supportive of our initiative, who have come from a similar background, which we're very thankful for. Um, and just really building strength in that. I think, um, and Hoysan mentioned it before, like coming into business school in general, it can be really intimidating. And we just want our students to know that there is a support system here. We see you, we're here for you, and we're here to provide you with anything that you need to ensure that you get the most school journey and, you know, that you feel supported throughout it. It was interesting. I think Hoysan made the point, and maybe not everybody is comfortable identifying in this way. Um, yeah, how do people, I mean, is this, are these conversations that you have with folks, how do people get, get comfortable with maybe joining join uh, the group, uh, aligning with the initiative? Yeah, for sure. Um, you definitely have, you know, a few different camps of thought. Um, there are people which I completely understand are, you know, not wanting to as publicly identify themselves as being FGLI, because I do think that there can be a little bit of a stigma with it or that idea now that if people know that they might look down on you a little bit. Um, on the flip side for me, I'm loud and proud about it. Um, I will shout it from the rooftops. I bring it up whenever I can um, because I think it's important for you know people to know that there are individuals or there are fellow classmates that come from this background. Um, well, with that being said too, that with our programming, we've, it, it's definitely been um, a little bit of an exercise in learning how do we do this. So the way that we've kind of mitigated that is that we've done more intimate events so far, um, like keeping it um, exclusive to the FGLI community to ensure, you know, that people feel that level of security um, and knowing that whatever happens in that room stays in that room. And there's also um, like a very much spoken rule anytime that we have an event um, that whatever is shared, whether it's personal stories, thoughts, views, anything like that, there's that level of confidentiality within our community. Just because, you know, you might feel a certain way about being FGLI, just because you might feel like me, doesn't mean the person next to you does. Um, and so there's that level of trust that I think has really kind of permeated with our students. And there's that level of understanding. And I think that definitely helps in terms of you know, building bonds with us, but also ensuring that we can kind of cover both ends of the spectrum, um, like regardless of how you identify um, that your level of expression that we respected and regardless of which camp that you're in that, you know, we're here for you and you can still fully participate in everything that we have to offer. Poisson, this strikes me as really important work because I think in business school when people start to feel out of place, it's when they feel like they can't be their real selves. They have to be some other version of who they are to 
you know, to to make it here, to to be who they think they should be here. Um, this this strikes me as a really important initiative. Thank you. It is, and we've really been trying to take notes from the other initiative. Also, have the similar component. So, for example, Humans of Darden, sorry, Darden stories that share very intimate, also vulnerable stories, but understanding that source is our power. So by being able to build around that, I think we're slowly building the community that we want to see and be a part of on the ground. All right, well, um, Hoysan, is there anything else that you're involved with uh, here in the second year that you would wanna mention that you'd wanna highlight here? Yeah, um, so KPI is one of them, is a woman founders group started by Lake Damon DeVito. It's also one of the reasons why I was able to get started my company in my first year during core, because he said there's never a good time to start a good never 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 good time to start a business. Um, so if all times are bad, then all times are good. So um, I want to be able to give back to um, the same first years that have started are trying to navigate what core feels like, learning team, and also starting a business. Um, so that's one of them, KPI. And the second one is graduate woman in business, and I'm also hoping to just pass along that everything is going to be okay to my first year mentees. All right, Chloe, anything that you're involved with that you'd want to mention here? Yeah, uh, so I sit on the board for another group on campus called Building Goodness in April. And so they're a organization that are in partners with uh, to provide uh, like life-saving repairs to the homes of locals who otherwise don't have a way uh, to pay for those repairs. So it ends up being a lot of individuals from like low income backgrounds whose partner may have passed away or the elderly that are retired. Um, and so the way that that typically works is that BGIA, that's how we shorten it. Um, they'll host this auction. We source items from the local community. We also source items and services from students and faculty. Um, people bid on the items and then everything that we raise goes to the Building Goodness Foundation and that pays for uh, the repairs to these homes. Um, and typically we'll get one home assigned to each section. Some groups on campus also will volunteer to take on a home. And it ends up being a day of volunteering and giving back to the community. And I think it's a really unique opportunity at Darden um, just because I feel that volunteer opportunities are not as present unless you go looking for them. And so definitely being in business school, we have this certain level of privilege for sure. And so I think it's important to find ways to do good and give back to the local community. Um, I will say just a quick shout out, Building Goodness in April, we are hosting a cold call after our auction on November 16th. Uh, so please come out for that um, calendar invites to come. It's going to be a great time. I'm a family oriented event for sure. And uh, similar to Hoysan, I'm also a member of the Graduate Women in Business Club, and I've taken on two mentees as, as well. Um, and it is very much about providing them that kind of sense of stability and support in their first year as they're navigating recruiting and academics and all that fun stuff. And truly, again, echoing Hoysan that it's going to be okay. You're going to find your way. And, you know, just try try to have some fun in between everything as well. All right, well, last question, um, Chloe, what's a piece of advice that you would share with our prospective student listeners, something that you would encourage them to think about as they go forth on their own MBA journeys? For sure. Um, 
So I think regardless if you identify as being first gen, first gen low income or any sort of affinity group, um, and it's going to sound very, very corny, but truly I'd say that you just need to believe in yourself early on. And I think just that the quicker that you realize that, the more fulfilling your experience is going to be as you go through your MBA journey. Um, and I know that we spoke a lot about imposter syndrome early on, and it's very, very easy for that to set in. But again, I really just want to emphasize the fact that regardless of where you come from before, that Darden is that equalizer. Business school is that equalizer. Doesn't matter where other people came from, where you came from. Now you're all in the same place, doing the same things with the same access to the same types of opportunities. And you absolutely should never let anyone make you feel less. And you should feel empowered to bring your full self and your full identity to school, to work, to recruiting or whatever that might be. Um, you know, your experiences, your perspectives, they matter and you have something unique to bring to the classroom and there is a reason why you're here. And so I, I just think that the sooner that you get on board with that and you kind of wrangle with that within yourself a little bit, uh, that's truly where your growth can start and where you can truly start to take advantage of everything that business school has to offer in these two years. I love that advice. It really aligns with so much of what we share with prospective students as they're navigating the application process. I think oftentimes uh, applicants are worried that they're not this traditional applicant they've conjured in their mind. And we try to share with folks that don't worry about this imaginary person. You are uh, this unique, incredible person. Lean into what makes you different. Lean into that uniqueness because that's really where um, you shine in, in the process. And that's what we're interested in, right? We want 335, you know, full-time MBA students all coming from different backgrounds, experiences, because the case method, the learning experience here is much richer uh, for that. So I, I love that advice, Chloe. Uh, Hoisan, uh, what's a piece of advice that you would you would share with our prospective student listeners? Exactly. Echoing what Chloe has said. Be who you are and know what it is that you want. Because for a really long time in my life, I have tried everything in my power to hide being from a low-income background, being an immigrant, and I haven't really shared, especially with people around me, that I studied for GMAT for four years with really low scores and almost hitting the lifetime maximum number of times you can take it. And that's eight. <laughs> I almost hit that. Um, but no, truly, be you. Um, give people around you and give school a chance to get to know that person before you self-select it out. Because... Sometimes we think about school selecting candidates, but I forgot times that we are also choosing where we go to for school and we're paying with the most expensive way is our time. It's two years of our time. And time goes by so quickly. This goes back to the what you want part of the MBA. I knew that I didn't want to do consulting. I knew that I didn't want to do investment banking coming in. And even though I still have a little bit of FOMO during recruiting, everyone is going to a vineyard, but... I can come back to like knowing what I want out of this experience has always grounded me. And that is something I would truly, truly recommend because there are so much programming and things go by so quickly. If you don't know what you want out of the two years and you just go in with the flow, the flow will take you everywhere and drag you in all the path that Darden has for career programming along all year from beginning to the end. That's good advice. Uh, 
Yeah, we always try to encourage it. One very common uh, piece of advice that comes from the current students is try try to have some idea where you want to go before you show up here because there's so much opportunity. You can really get caught in following the herd, going here and there. Mm -hmm. It's very stressful, right? At the end of all of that, you start to wonder, like, what am I even doing? It's kind of like feel like you're spinning your wheels. So. I mean, have an idea, maybe hold it, hold it loosely, be open to some opportunity, uh, opportunities that may present themselves along the way. But uh, that's great, great advice to voice on. Um, Chloe, I uh, wonder if someone wants to learn more about the first generation initiative, maybe connect with y'all. What's the easiest way uh, to do that? Yeah, I would say that um, if you want to learn more about us and what it is that we do here, definitely feel free to contact either one of us or contact um, admissions, and they'd be more than happy to put you in contact um, with either myself or Hoison or both of us. Um, we have had students that have reached out and we've had coffee chats with them uh, just to talk a little bit more about Darden from the FGLI lens and also just to answer any sort of questions you might have. So please, anything that we can help out with or, you know, offer you any sort of insight or perspective, please reach out. We're more than happy to have those discussions. All right. Well, Chloe, Hoysan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been so great uh, talking with you and look forward to hearing more about what the FGLI gets into in the, in the coming months. Good luck with uh, good luck with your upcoming week. Thanks, Bradley. Thank you for having us, Brad. And that was my interview with Chloe Ramnarine and Hoysan Guan, two leaders of the first generation low income initiative here at the Darden School of Business. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, we're all ears. We can be reached at Darden, that's C-A-R-D-E-N, at virginia.edu. Until next time, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.